Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. Grace Church, we are thankful that you are joining with us today in worship, and welcome to you who are joining us online from your various living rooms or bedrooms around the world. Uh, Wish I was with you, actually, today. A little bit tired this morning. It was a great Saturday yesterday. It was a ton of work, but man, it leaves you a little worn out uh, after a little bit of time. Well, if you have a Bible or Bible app, uh, you can open up to Matthew chapter 3 and also kind of put a tab in John chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at uh, primarily those two areas of Scripture today. And as you were coming into the worship center, you had the opportunity to grab one of our folders. I would highly recommend you grab a folder every single week because this is a teaching series where we are asking you to take copious notes. And on the back of your folder, there's a great place for notes. But if you're not a folder kind of a person, use whatever device you need to continue to take notes so you can absorb the content of what we're walking through this week. This week we continue with our second message in the series called The Disciple, and we're going to be examining exactly what it means to follow Jesus. Now remember, we have a definition of disciple here at Grace Church, and just out of curiosity, how many of you remember the definition because you were here last week and you took notes and you memorized it? That's what I thought, Uh, maybe one or two. So we're going to review the definition again, it's going to come up on the screen, and here is uh, the answer to the question, what is a disciple? Here's the Grace Church definition. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, is being transformed by Jesus to become like Jesus, and participates in the mission of Jesus. We're going to say this definition every single week until every person at Grace Church or who's associated with Grace Church begins to understand this is what we believe when we're saying we are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, who is being transformed by Jesus to become like Jesus, and participates in the mission of Jesus. And if you can't remember the definition, and you're more of an equations person, I'll give you an equation. D equals FTP. There we go. My wife was telling me this morning I should come up with an equation. D equals FTP. Discipleship equals following, transforming, and participating in the mission of Jesus. That's what it is. So what do disciples do then? What do we actually do? We do what Jesus did. We make disciples by helping others follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and become like Jesus and participate in the mission of Jesus. That's what we do. So it's what we are, and it's what we do. And then oftentimes people ask, well, what exactly is the mission of Jesus? Well, here it is. It's to bring people into the kingdom of God and to teach them how to have a relationship with their heavenly Father today and for eternity. And that's what we're doing as disciples. We are following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus to become like Jesus and participating in the mission of Jesus. And by participating in the mission of Jesus, we're helping others follow Jesus, become like Jesus, and tra- or be transformed by Jesus and become like Jesus to participate in the mission of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 today because uh, I really think that Matthew is the perfect disciple when it comes to articulating the first couple of realities about what it means to follow after Jesus. Because before Matthew was a disciple, and before Matthew was an apostle, 
He was a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government. Now, if you were a Jewish tax collector for the Roman government, other Jewish people would have considered you a traitor against the nation of Israel. You were a traitor in their eyes. Secondly, tax collectors were notoriously deceitful. They would oftentimes tell you your tax bill was certain, certain percentage higher than what it actually was. They would skim off the top, pocket their, or put that money in their own pocket, and then everybody knew if you're going to the tax collector, you're going to get ripped off to some degree or another. And the least likely person, for a, and if you were a Jew, the least likely person that a rabbi would call to be their disciple is a tax collector. You wouldn't call a traitor to the nation of Israel, and you wouldn't call a thief to come be a disciple and have their life transformed by any kind of respectable rabbi in the nation of Israel. And what I like about that, that context is that it gives Matthew the ability to record in this letter in such a way that helps everybody understand the actual teachings of Jesus for people who are very far from religiosity to learning how to actually follow Jesus. He does a really good job of doing that. And he answers the following questions really well. He answers the question number one, when is someone considered a disciple? He paints that very clearly, clearly in Matthew's chapter 3 through 7. He also talks about how are disciples to follow Jesus, and when do disciples start making disciples? When do we start participating in the mission of Jesus. Now, as we move forward today, and as we get into the actual bulk of the teaching, there's one thing I want you to understand that Matthew really points out, and we're going to see it all throughout the book, and also in John chapter 1, is that following Jesus is all about saying yes to the invitations of Jesus. Okay? Following Jesus is all about saying yes to the invitations of Jesus. And we're going to see that Matthew records and John records four specific invitations of Jesus. The first one is to come and see. Come and see what this Jesus is all about. The second one is to repent, believe, and be baptized. That's the second one. The third one is to know Jesus' teaching. And the fourth one is to obey Jesus' teaching. So these are the four invitations of Jesus. And we're going to walk through these through the rest of the morning. So let's take a look at number one, what it means to say yes to coming and seeing. Did you know that the very first experience that everyone who has a disciple of Jesus is saying yes to the experience of coming and seeing what Jesus is all about? Even if you're just a little child who gets taken to church by their parents, you were brought here without any personal faith of your own because your parents wanted you to see what Jesus was all about, this thing that they were experiencing. And before you become a disciple of Jesus, you're this pre-disciple, but what you actually are is you are a part of this thing called the crowd. You're just a part of the crowd. And we're going to see that everywhere Jesus goes, there are crowds that follow Jesus. Jesus and crowds are synonymous. Jesus had crowds in Capernaum. Jesus had crowds in Samaria. Jesus had crowds in Jerusalem. Jesus had crowds that praised him, and then he had crowds that crucified him. Everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus draws a crowd. Now, why is there a crowd? Because Jesus and anybody who is in any kind of a relationship with Jesus is going to experience some kind of transformation. Some kind of transformation happens anytime you spend time around Jesus. And when you experience transformation, it fills you with awe and wonder. And then immediately, when you choose to follow Jesus as a result, you become inviting people to come and see all the things that Jesus has done. And you can look all throughout the book of Matthew and in John, and you will see people who were transformed by their encounter with Jesus 
who then go and invite others to see exactly what Jesus is doing. You can look at it in Matthew chapter 9 with the story of the woman at the well. Her life is transformed in a personal encounter. She immediately goes back to her village, and you know what she says? Come and see this man who told me everything about myself. You've got to see what's happening here. You see it in Matthew chapter 5, you see it in Luke chapter 10, and you see it first and foremost in the beginning of John chapter 1. And so we're going to start in John chapter 1. I want to take a look at the story of Philip and Nathaniel because this is a come and see kind of a moment. And there's two things I want you to notice about Philip and Nathaniel in the story, especially about uh, Philip. Number one is that people want what a Savior can do for them. People want it. You might not even realize this. People necessarily know that they want Jesus, but people want what a Savior can do for them. The second thing is, when people experience what a Savior can do for them, they invite others to come and see what he's done. So John chapter 1, verses 44 through 48, we read this, starting in 44. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Now, in the context of this passage... It's reasonable to believe that Philip had been a part of the crowd following Jesus in the verses earlier. He had been seeing the come and see experience of everybody. And he was at a moment where he was ready to believe and follow. And Jesus gave him the invitation, come and follow me. And here's what we know what that means when someone chooses to follow Jesus, because we talked a lot about it last week. And if you missed last week due to the weather, I would encourage you, go online to our website and watch last week's message If you drive and you're in a car a lot, you can subscribe to the Grace at a Glance podcast and you can listen to the message because what you're going to learn is that when Philip chose to follow Jesus is he agreed to become exactly like Jesus in every way. And Philip was excited to follow Jesus because he had seen all the things that Jesus was doing with the crowds. And when Philip saw what Jesus was doing with the crowds, Philip became convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah to the nation of Israel. And this is when you need to have some first century knowledge of what it means when somebody thinks Jesus is the Messiah. When you hear that Jesus is the Messiah 2,000 years beyond, you might be familiar enough in church to hear that Jesus is the Savior of your soul. What they heard was that Jesus was a man anointed by God to become the physical king of the, and ruler of the nation of Israel. And that he would eventually overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing them. That's what Philip believed about Jesus. And Philip desperately wanted that Messiah. He didn't want a Messiah who could save his soul. He wanted a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman Empire. And he wanted a Messiah who would bring about the promises of God in the nation of Israel. Philip decided to follow Jesus for the stuff that Jesus was going to give him. That he believed Jesus was going to give him. And that is not unlike how many people choose to follow Jesus initially today. People oftentimes choose to follow Jesus today because of the stuff that Jesus will do for them. Here's what I know about people. All people are desperately seeking freedom and deliverance from their oppressors. We do it intuitively. We do it when there's an external oppressor, but we do it, whether we know it or not, with internal oppressors. How many self-help books are in the world to get people free from the internal oppressors that they're experiencing? So many. It's a billion-dollar business. People desperately want to be free. 
There is fear of death and disease. There is anxiety over money and relationships. There is shame and guilt over past actions. There is wickedness wrapped around people's minds. And people want freedom from that. Now, I've been around church long enough to know, uh, and you probably have been too if you've been here for any period of time or in churches for a while, that most sermons, when people are invited to follow Jesus, they're invited to follow Jesus and to come and see all the things he can do for you. That's where it starts. That's why Philip started following Jesus, because of what uh, Jesus could do for him as Messiah. That's why most people begin following Jesus, because they want to experience what Jesus can do for them. They want peace that surpasses all understanding. They want freedom from sin and death. They want healing. They want to go to heaven. People want what a Savior can do. And when people finally experience what a Savior can do, it radically transforms their perception about who this Savior actually is. No longer is he just this man, but he's this man with power and authority to transform the way I think, feel, and respond to the world around me. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you met somebody who was seeing Jesus for a period of time and then finally had the experience of Jesus as their Savior as an adult. When was the last time you met an adult who gave their life over fully to Jesus and experienced a radical transformation? Because if it hasn't been for a while, I need to understand something. When you're with an adult who comes to Christ for the first time, they choose to follow, their emotions are contagious. Their passion for Jesus and inviting others to come and see Jesus is undeniably tangible. It is, it is energetic because this person has something. And when they get this thing that's so precious to them, do you know what they do? They go and invite everyone to come and see this man who transformed everything about who they are. They want the world to come and see this man who transformed their life. And that's what Philip does in John 1 verse 45. Here's what happens. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. So it was clearly he'd been following Jesus for some time. Philip found Nathanael, and he told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, of Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And I love, I just love Nathanael's response. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? I mean, think about this. Think about this experience. Somebody found a transformative experience under Jesus. They go and tell a friend about it. And what's their friend's response? Jesus? Really? How is that any different today? That is 100% the experience that people have today, that if you are transformed by Jesus and you go tell everybody to come and see this man who transformed your life, their first response is always going to be, Jesus? Not like uh, you couldn't like, find some other religion to follow? <laughs> it had to be this? They question it. And what does Philip say? Come and see. That's your response. you got to come and see. You just have to come and see. Listen, friends, following Jesus always begins with an invitation from another follower of Jesus to come and see what Jesus is all about. And so the first experience that all disciples have when they're part of the crowd is they say yes to coming and seeing. And that's probably been a part of your experience. And that's a normative experience for most people. And here's what's really great. That should empower you, for if you are currently a follower of Jesus, to invite others to come and see because that's the first place it always starts. That's where it starts. And then after someone has been around for a period of time, if they've, been around, uh, the, if they've been around the organization long enough, they've been around Jesus long enough, they're going to start to hear other invitations. Now listen, uh, 
If you want to know why churches are dying in America and why Christianity is losing its influence nationally, if you really want the answer to that, I'm going to give it to you and it's going to be really hard to swallow. Here's what it is. It's because followers of Jesus in that church or in the church at large are not following Jesus. They're not doing it. As a result, they are not being transformed by Jesus and they're not becoming like Jesus. And as a result of that, they stop participating in the mission of Jesus. And the end result of all of that is that they have no reason to invite others to come and see what is happening. Do you know why? Because nothing is happening. That's the simple truth. When followers of Jesus don't actually follow Jesus, there's no reason to invite anybody to come and see anything because there's nothing to see. Because nobody's following Jesus. Nobody's being transformed by Jesus. Nobody's participating in the mission of Jesus. And here's what happens as a result. There's this other really terrible normative experience for most believers in Christ in America. They become embarrassed of their church. They become ashamed of their own faith because they know that they're not practicing their faith. And then they become afraid to invite other people to come and see what Jesus is doing because they have no story, no testimony about what Jesus is doing in their life or in the lives of others. That's the normative experience in most of our churches in the United States of America that are shrinking. You have believers in Christ who are not actual followers of Jesus. How do I know this? Because when you are following Jesus, and you are being transformed by Jesus, and you're becoming like Jesus, you have no shortage of things to invite other people to come and see. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer for one week, or if you've been a believer for 30 years. Following Jesus is so transformative and always transforming you that there's always something to invite other people to come and see. I mean, just look, just look at what Jesus did for the people in the crowd. Jesus healed the crowds. Jesus fed the crowds. Jesus taught the crowds. Jesus blessed the crowds. Jesus loved the crowds in a way different from anyone around him. And when you are in a church that is filled with real disciples, people sense something is happening. They see people behaving differently. They hear messages that convict their soul about what is sin, about what is righteousness. They start having healing experiences of their heart, mind, and body. People in the crowd can even participate in the supernatural blessings that Jesus bestows upon the crowd. You don't actually have to be a believer in Jesus to experience the amazing results of being around the people of Jesus. But when you experience those results, it then leads you to a place where you're invited to say yes to following Jesus. So the second thing is this. We say yes to the invitation to repent, believe, and be baptized. The greatest thing that Jesus does for all people is that he has made a way for you to have a relationship with your creator today and for eternity. It's the greatest thing. Your soul longs to be in a relationship with the one who created it. The soul longs to be free from the weight of the guilt and the shame brought on by the sin that your broken body continues to produce on a regular basis. And our flesh, our body, our sinful self, it will drive us to find all kinds of ways to remove that guilt, remove that shame, and satisfy this need that we all have. And at best, I mean absolutely at best, our flesh is only able to mute the longing of our soul, but it cannot remove it. The only thing that truly gives the fulfillment our souls are looking for is choosing to follow Jesus. And that's, here's what that means. When you choose to follow Jesus, after you've been seeing the things of Jesus for a while, it means that you say yes 
first and foremost to repenting. You have to say yes to repenting. There is no choosing to follow Jesus without first choosing to repent and acknowledge all of the sin that you've had in your life. Here's what confession actually means. Ready? It means that you acknowledge two truths about your sin. We acknowledge truth number one, that we have it, that it is great, and that it is overwhelming. We have sin. We have it. It is great, and it is overwhelming. The second thing we have to acknowledge is this, is that we can't do anything to remove it. We can't. And so we repent. We say, Lord, I, I have this sin, and I, I, therefore I come to you and I, I confess my sin to you. I acknowledge that I have it. I acknowledge I can't do anything to remove it. And why do we have to start with repentance? Because this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. If you start in Matthew, we're going to start the rest of the time there. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus' very first public message was one sentence. You know what it was? His first sermon ever. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' first message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is, at, is near. So we acknowledge our sin so that we can experience heaven on earth. We can experience removal of our sin. So once we repent, we then have to say yes to believing. It's a two-step process. It's a really fun process. We say yes to believing. I love how the Apostle Paul goes on to uh, preach this in Romans 10, verses 8 through 10. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified and with your mouth you confess and you are saved. That's how it works. You confess and you believe and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul says. The word is near you, it is in your mouth and it is, your, it is in your heart. Paul is describing the sensation that everyone in the crowd experiences right before they choose to follow Jesus. It's right here in your chest. It's in your bosom. You, you know it. It's like, yeah, I want to believe this. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to verbally tell Jesus. It's this deep belief that Jesus really does have the power to remove sin and give you the relationship you've always wanted with your creator today and for eternity. And all you have to do is confess your sin by acknowledging you have it and believe that Jesus is able to do what he says he can do, which is to remove it. And then there's a third invitation to that. We then say yes to being baptized. I'm going to speak on baptism a little bit because you may or may not know, but on Easter Sunday we are going to be baptizing on Easter Sunday. And this is going to be a, a unique statement, and it's a hard statement, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's true. If you have repented and you believe, but you have not been baptized... You are not a follower of Jesus. If you have repented and you believe, but you have not been baptized, you are not a follower of Jesus. You are 100% a believer in Christ. You are saved. This is true about you. But you are not a follower of Jesus because you haven't chosen to follow him in his first commandment in the area of disciple-making. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19. You might know this, the Great Commission. I talked about it last week. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the commission of Jesus. If I'm a disciple, and I am, my command is to make disciples, which is what I'm doing. And part of becoming a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, is being baptized. I'm commanded to do it by Jesus. I'm commanded to exhort you 
to go and do this if you want to follow Jesus. And in John chapter 4, verse 2, you see the disciples baptizing people all the time. Now the question is, why did they baptize? Why is this a part of being a follower of Jesus? Well, when you understand the Old Testament and you look at the purification ceremonies for the high priest, you see that water is a very important aspect of becoming ceremonially pure before you can enter the temple and be before the presence of God. And so the priest had to go through a multi-step process. The first process is this. A lamb had to be slain. The blood of the lamb had to be spilled so that there could be forgiveness for the sin of the transgressor, which is the high priest. The second is he then had to bathe himself in water to become physically pure. He was made spiritually pure through the sacrifice, but now he's made physically pure to enter the presence of God. And so when John the Baptist begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 3, he goes around baptizing people for the repentance of sin. And then when John is arrested, Jesus continues the ministry. Jesus continues what John started because John had to come and make a way for Jesus to begin his ministry. So Jesus comes out and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the natural next step is after you confess and repent, they then take you down to the Jordan River and they baptize you as a symbolic reality that you have been cleansed internally. And now as a result of your internal cleansing and right standing with God, you are baptized physically to be publicly declaring that you are a follower of Jesus. That's what that works. And so if you are a believer in Jesus and you have repented but you've not been baptized, you are not yet an actual follower of Jesus. Now how do I know this? Because my, my flesh refused to be baptized for years. This is my story. From the ages of 13 to 17, my dad must have asked me a thousand times, when are you getting baptized? When are you getting baptized? Hey, Dan, when are you getting baptized? And I hated it. He thought it was funny. You know how dads do things that they know annoy their kids because they think it's funny, but their kid hates it? That's this whole thing. And I was miserable about it. And he would just ask me, when are you getting baptized? When are you getting... I mean, out of nowhere, we'd be talking about baseball. So when are you getting baptized? I don't know, man. Leave me alone. Back off. My flesh did not want to get baptized. It didn't want to do it because it didn't really want to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is costly. And I knew it. I knew it. I knew that following Jesus would cost my entire life, and I was so hesitant to do it because I didn't want to give Jesus my entire life. I think people want the benefits of Jesus. They want to be saved. They want to go to heaven. They want peace. They want what Jesus can do inside the crowd. They're happy to have it. Very few people want to actually commit their life to Christ in followership because it costs everything. But you'll never be fully satisfied until you actually do. And so if you're ready to say yes to repenting, and you're ready to say yes to believing, then you have to be ready to say yes to baptism. Because they are one and the same. They help you go forward and declare that you're a follower of Jesus. And here's how you can do this. If you want to get baptized Easter Sunday, in the seat pocket in front of you, do you know what's there? It's what we call our yes card. You know why we call it that? Anyone want to take a guess? Because you're saying yes to the next invitation of Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you to repent and to believe in him. And if you haven't done that, take the card out, mark it down, and let us know. But personally, do it inside your heart. And if you are a believer in Christ and you've not yet gotten baptized, take the stupid card out and put your name on there, and we'll get you baptized. Because that's what it means to be a follower in Jesus. You're saying yes to the invitation. The card means nothing, but your decision means everything. And the card will help us, help us walk you through being responsible and being obedient to Jesus in that space. The third invitation we have is this. We say yes to the invitation to learn the teachings of Jesus. 
In Matthew chapter 3 through 7, you're going to see the invitation to learn the teachings of Jesus. And it's very powerful. It starts in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the core of Jesus' teaching. Lots of teaching throughout the New Testament from Jesus, especially in the Gospels. But the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, are critical to understanding what it means to being a disciple of Jesus. And so I want to read from you Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Here's how it begins. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach. Now, I want you to picture the scene. You've got Jesus sitting down on the side of a mountain. You've got his disciples around him in the first couple of uh, rows, you know, two or three rows kind of around him. And then you have the crowd in and around the rest of the area. Now, I don't know how many of you are teachers. Anybody teachers in this room? If you are, a couple teachers here. Here's what you know if you're a teacher. You ready? People who really want to learn from you, they sit right down front. I'm not judging you in the back, I promise. <laughs> but if you really want to learn, you sit right down front. I know that. It's my personal experience with teaching many kids. And if you just want to hear and be engaged, you sit in the back of the crowd. So where do disciples learn? Disciples are right up front. And here's what you've got to understand about Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the front row seat to Discipleship 101. This is where it starts. Discipleship 101 begins here in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And I want to walk through three specific things the Sermon on the Mount actually goes through. Because this week, I know that all of you are going to study the Sermon on the Mount on your own, right? Matthew 5 through 7, you're going to read it. I know you're going to go out and read it because of Discipleship 101. And you're going to learn a lot of different things. You're going to learn about your purpose here on earth, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're going to learn about how to live righteously in a world that celebrates sin as right and what is right as what is sinful. It talks about relationships between people. It talks about justice and mercy and ethical business dealings. It informs you how to be a disciple and what it means to get the rewards of being a disciple. It talks about how we pray as Jesus teaches us how to pray. And it talks about how to love as Jesus has loved us. Those three chapters encompass the very heart of what Jesus wants for all of his followers to do. And there are three phrases that you're going to see repeated throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to list them for you quickly because I think you should write these down and be aware of them when you go to study the book on your own. And it goes like this. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 6, Jesus says this. Or I'm sorry, verse 11. Jesus says this. You have heard it said, and then he'll say something, but I tell you. Anytime you're reading the Sermon on the Mount and you see Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus is doing this. He is taking the common sense teachings of the world and he is transforming them to help you understand what is kingdom sense. There is the common sense teaching of the world and he transforms them to help you understand what is kingdom sense. Yes, there was the way you lived and these were morally fine, but now there's, there's the way that you live as a disciple. This was common sense. This is kingdom sense. You need to learn it. You have heard it said, but I tell you. The second phrase that you're going to see a lot is when you dot, 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 do not, dot, 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 instead, dot, dot, dot. You're going to see that phrase quite a bit. When you do not instead. What Jesus is doing is he's not teaching on uh, what you can't do as a believer. He's teaching on religious practice because what you see in that section of the Sermon on the Mount is how people would generally worship God in various religious settings. And so when you see him say, when you fast, do not Go out and tell everybody that you've been fasting. Instead, go and fast in private. 
You're going to hear Jesus do things like that. Because Jesus doesn't want religious zealots known for their public atrocities. Right? They don't, they don't, doesn't want that out there. He doesn't want people uh, to go around and, and display their generosity before others. He doesn't want religious practice that's public. He wants religious practice that is sincere. He is taking the common religious practice of the day, and he is teaching what kingdom practice looks like. So he goes from common sense to kingdom sense to common religious practice to kingdom spiritual practice. And the last phrase you're going to read is this, therefore I tell you. Jesus is taking the human experience and he invites you into the kingdom experience. Therefore I tell you. Jesus wants you to understand when he says, therefore I tell you, the vast promises that are available to you as one of his disciples. He wants you to grasp what it means to be a son or daughter of God. He wants you to live with the same sense of security and peace that Jesus himself lives with. That's what he wants for you. So when you see those three phrases, and I'll repeat them for you again. You have heard it said, but I tell you, Jesus is, teaching, is taking common sense and teaching kingdom sense. When you do not instead, Jesus is taking common religious practice and teaching you kingdom practice. And therefore I tell you, Jesus is taking the human experience and giving you the kingdom experience. Those phrases come up again and again and again in those three chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And they are fundamental to what it means to begin as a disciple who follows after Jesus. Every single disciple must learn the teachings of Jesus so that we can say yes to the last invitation that comes by Jesus, from Jesus himself. We're just saying yes to practicing the teachings of Jesus. We say yes to obeying the teachings of Jesus. Here you go. Ready? The conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount gave rise to what I would call the second most popular children's song in church today. The first one is Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Do you know what the second most popular song in, Christ, in uh, kids' ministry is today? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. If you're a child or you grew up in church, you might know that. You're going to hear it said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the man who built his house, and the house on the sand went splat, right? Kids love doing that. It went splat. It's fun to watch. And then the very last chorus of that children's song goes like this. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, this is where I take issue with the song. A lot of people don't pick issues with children's songs, but I'm going to pick an issue with this song because it's not wrong, it's just not clear. And the last thing I want is I want young kids, I want children to know exactly what clear is so they can begin being a disciple as early as possible. Listen to how Jesus actually finishes the Sermon on the Mount. You ready? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. I think the children's song is good. It's saying build your life on Jesus Christ and have faith in him for salvation, but it's not actually teaching what Jesus is teaching. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Here's what I think the song should really end. You ready? It should end this. Instead of build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, it should end this way. Practice the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I'm not lyrical. Don't judge me. Maybe, uh, yeah, I could add the word teachings there. Practice the teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. There we go. 
Because the Sermon on the Mount is how we become wise. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You want to be wise as a disciple of Jesus? Then you put into practice the teachings of Jesus. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, it means I follow Jesus. If I follow Jesus, I come and see, I experience Jesus, I invite others to come and see, experience Jesus, I repent, I believe, I'm baptized, I learn the teachings of Jesus, and then I practice the teachings of Jesus. And so as we close this morning, I want to share with you something that I call the disciples' prayer. And here's why I call it the disciples' prayer. Because everything inside of my flesh doesn't want to do this. It does not want to do this. I don't really want to practice the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read it? It feels sometimes almost impossible because my flesh fights some of the things Jesus is teaching. Have you tried to be obedient to the teachings of Christ? It's, it's just downright hard. Sometimes I don't want to be generous. Sometimes I don't want to welcome people to my home. When an enemy curses me, I don't want to turn the other cheek and then pray for them. I want to curse them back and punch them in the face. It is hard to follow Jesus. And so I invite you to adopt this prayer as your own. It's a disciple's prayer. I've been praying it now for six years. I pray it almost every day. It's a liturgical prayer, okay? Now, we don't do much liturgy in most uh, Protestant churches. But liturgy is a really helpful exercise when you can write down a prayer that becomes meaningful to you. It gives you the, uh, something to grasp onto. Even when you have nothing else to say, you can fall back on this thing because you have burned it into your heart and into your soul. And here's the disciples' prayer. Dear Jesus, will you fill me with your spirit so that I can hear what you want me to hear and see what you want me to see and do what you want me to do? For our friendship and your glory. Because following Jesus is hard. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to practice the teachings of Jesus. And practicing the teachings of Jesus goes against everything your flesh wants to do. And so we have to invite the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises us in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power is to not tell people about Jesus, as many people read that verse. The power you receive with the filling of the Holy Spirit is the ability to practice the things of Jesus even when your flesh doesn't want to. It's power to overcome the flesh. And so we say, Jesus, fill us with your spirit so that I can hear what you want me to hear, see what you want me to see, do what you want me to do for our friendship and for your glory. I invite you to pray that with me as we close today. Father Jesus, Dear Jesus, Savior Jesus, will you please fill us with your spirit so that everyone here in this room can hear what you want us to hear, can see what you want us to see, and will do what you want us to do. And Lord Jesus, for our personal friendship with you and that your glory might be known here. I ask that in Jesus' name. Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.